Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, The War of Hearts, Our Father Who Art in Heaven, and JC is Reborn. This is Optical Course. Amen, brother. <laughs> Amen, brother. Andrew, I thought you weren't religious. Yeah, no, I, I feel a little bit weird saying that, but it, do people even say that when they're in church? Is they, amen, for they sure. They do, man. But yeah. a, amen, brother? Oh, they do. Yeah, okay. especially in the South. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Amen, brother. I used to say that all the time. Amen. <laughs> it almost becomes like a superstitious thing after a while. Just amen, amen. Like every prayer has to end with amen. That's another thing I would do is I would deliberately leave off the amen when I would lead prayers in the church, just a way of screwing with the system. Hmm. That's, yeah. Yeah, I get into that in this episode, folks, just about... Uh, being thoroughly indoctrinated and thoroughly identified with a special faith and then just uh, beginning to poke holes in it and finally leave. Well, and, and being a bit of um, a bit of an anarchist or a, yeah. a troublemaker. Yeah, like a general. shit disturber, an agitator. Yeah, which yeah. Is, is maybe not the ideal no. character <laughs> uh, for, for a preacher. No, it's not. Yeah, no. exactly. So in this episode, you get to hear the making of John. You get to hear what drove him to become a preacher and why he found himself in that role and uh, the whole undoing of that that part of his life and, and really his identity and, and how he came back from that and what makes him the person he is today. Yeah, and absolutely, folks, I was a preacher and you might know that after hearing this episode <laughs> <laughs> because uh, my whole life I was trained to talk at people. And uh, becoming a podcast host, Andrew has taught me how to talk with people. And I tried to do that in this episode. So if, if you feel sometimes I was talking at you, I apologize. That's just my preacher turning. Well, I think you did a good job of navigating between telling your story, which yeah. you did very well, and, and then also switching into a, a, trying to provide people something that might be learned or yes. they might be able to use in their own lives. And uh, not... not an easy thing to do to switch back and forth because no. you could either you could be one be the preacher and be like thou shall not steal mm-hmm. or <laughs> i think that was one of the ten <laughs> well done man <Matt. laughs> uh or you could just be so wrapped up in your own story where exactly. you're you don't even really know what's going on or andrew doesn't need to be here like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i could i could just talk for two hours and be yeah. like oh andrew's not here <laughs> he went out for lunch yeah and so we're not we're going to keep this intro short because I was the episode is not mm-hmm. it's it's virgin on a couple hours and if if you make it to the end it'll be a worthwhile journey because we we do go off um, we do finish up talking about my faith and, and end off talking about the importance of what this podcast means to us mm-hmm. and and the community that it's uh, that that it's now um, in process of becoming yeah. And the fact that you, as listeners, are a huge part of that. Oh, and, huge. And, and we do, um, we wouldn't be here without those of you who are listening right now. So We love um, you. Yeah, we do love you. We do love you. And yeah. we, um, we'll get into that in a little bit further depth towards the end of the episode. And, and just really about the impact that the podcast has made in, in your life and, and filling a, a significant void that had been created through your loss of identity and, and faith. And I want to thank uh, Andrew for, for um, I knew my story was going to be in good hands today. I've seen him at work the last 35 episodes and, and it, the, my story, I've been, I've told it lots of times, but never in this way. So if you think, oh, I've heard this already, you lost your faith, blah, 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 you know, move, move to the <laughs> island. I, I know, I know the movements. Uh, Andrew takes, he, he brings out a lot of interesting stuff 
including my relationship with my father and, and even why sometimes I chose to just breathe through my nose and not my mouth. Yeah. Uh, we led with that for some reason. And, and uh, <laughs> you'll realize it is connected. And, mm-hmm. and that's Andrew's genius is uh, he takes you down a road and you're like, where are we? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's actually connected to this road. And now we're in a better place. It's all about connection, people. So uh, thank you, Andrew, for, for being a, a, a patient listener and a, and a well-seasoned guide. Well, just be curious and good things will happen. All right. Enjoy, folks. Cheers. So, Don, is there anything you do want to talk about or don't want to talk about? Don't ask me about uh, my masturbation problem <laughs> Okay. from my teenage years. Okay. Because I like to think I'm not alone in that. I mean, I was alone when it was happening. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's just that the people aren't ready to hear it. I think it'll change their view of me mm-hmm. if I spoke about it. So I'm glad I haven't mentioned it. Yeah. Is that why you had to get glasses at such a young age? <laughs> What? Because it was so small and I couldn't see it? <laughs> no, I meant... Is that what you're saying? Because I mean, you're going blind. Oh, yeah. Because is that a religious thought? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well done. Mm-hmm. But you must have heard that one, eh? Oh, yeah. And did you test that theory? Yeah, I have perfect vision. So the theory is wrong. <laughs> this reminds me of that joke we used to play on, on uh, unsuspecting kids. Well, for a while, I was one of those unsuspecting kids. Yeah. Where they're like, uh, you know, if you have hair on your palms... It means you're a compulsive masturbator. <laughs> and then the person would look at their palms real quick and you'd yeah. be like, oh. <laughs> so it's one of those ones where you're just going to get, uh, you know, there's no way to win. We are off to a rolling start. <laughs> yeah. I mean. We're not. Well, we are. We are recording, we, but we we're may, probably not going to use we this. We may or may not use any, <laughs> any of that. <laughs> yeah. I'd lean towards not. Yeah, let's not. In fact, I already know what Angie would say. Well, are you ready? Yeah, man, I'm in your delicate hands. Mm-hmm. You are the potter. I am the clay. <laughs> and I'm hoping we re- reduplicate the scene from Ghost. Because <laughs> I think our what listeners want to see that. There, it, there's a Whitney Houston song playing in the background. There it is. It's yeah. Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze. Mm-hmm. And clay flew everywhere, as did their passions. It got messy. Oh, it got messy? <laughs> but just like love, it was beautiful. Yeah. I probably wasn't allowed to watch that scene when I did because I was a Christian boy. Yeah. But uh, you can't deny the power. Power of ghosts. Of that scene. Was Whoopi Goldberg in that scene too? No, man. I think you're... Th- uh, was Whoopi in that? Oh, did she Wasn't, play like the angel or Isn't she the ghost? Right. Yes. Whoopi. I, I don't know if I've ever actually watched that movie. Oh, well, yeah, I think she was the ghost in that. Or no, because Patrick was dead. Was he not? And so she, she, was, she wasn't actually making sweet sweet clay love with patrick swayze there was she was thinking that hmm. right she was connecting with his ghost and she was making love with his ghost huh we're back to the masturbation topic i think here well <laughs> it often comes back to that <laughs> uh, i thought bruce willis was dead he was in, in fact we just watched that for the first time with somebody who had never seen it oh wow and and so we said to them hey we're gonna watch six cents um you know, have you, have you seen, no, I haven't seen it. It's like, so you don't have any idea of what transpires, you know, we're kind of doing the feelers. Yeah. They're like, no, nope, no idea. Hmm. And then like when I watched it again, it'd been like 10 years. It was like, this is so obvious that he's dead. I mean, yeah. it's so obvious. When you've seen it. When you've seen it. Isn't, so we'll get into the topic of truth a little bit later. Yeah, we will. But isn't that just indicative of how 
when we know something we, yeah. we don't even think that there's any other way of it being possible no absolutely but until no. we know that or find that truth it's a mystery yeah uh other any other good movies with the or favorite movies with the total huge plot twist endings because i've got i've got two do you yeah well you you start the usual suspects yeah of course mm, kaiser soze so that's the one where his like foot was like you know turned the other way but then you find out he was just uh, yeah faking that at the, the very time. end he's limping he starts away walking and, and, normal yeah oh man oh, that was great kevin spacey yeah can we mention him yet on the podcast? i'm not sure <laughs> great movie yeah it was. benicio del toro oh, let's yeah. just talk about him i love him uh, i don't think he's done anything scandalous no i think we've had our introduction already i feel comfortable good uh, thank you thank you for taking me through this banter yeah my i feel my walls are are falling down perfect and my nerves are at bay and i'm ready to talk about the deepness that is john's soul yeah so as john would say spoiler alert we don't have a guest on today <laughs> i do say that yeah. yep sorry and in fact we are turning the microphone back on john you've heard a lot about his various stories yes. throughout different episodes uh -huh. but today it's the spotlight is purely on our dashing and often meandering <laughs> host mr john close so thank you and welcome to the podcast so andrew uh, one time i asked you when it was going to be my turn mm -hmm. and you said it's always your turn yes <laughs> so what do you mean by that andrew well it's it's mostly complimentary it's uh, perfect. <laughs> it's <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> it relates to your willingness to share and to bring your charming stories and often hilarious stories onto the podcast. So I thought the words monopolize and dominate were about to come <laughs> out of your mouth. <laughs> no, no, of course not. No, of course not. The, I never do that. The listeners have spoken. They love the stories, and okay. I like reacting to the stories yeah. because often they're they're fresh and I haven't heard them before. Yeah. And so for today, we're going to try to keep them. I'm going to try to bring out some fresh stories if I can. Yes, please do. And keep you, uh, keep you guessing. Yep. And at the same time, uh, give you space to, to share your story. So you've recently had an experience at the Connection Project mm -hmm. where you were able to have the stage and bring out a lot of, um, a lot of the core elements of, of your journey and some of the transformative parts of your life. But we're going to, we're going to, probably touch on those and also go deeper so thank you for being here and uh yeah it is different for me as well because as we found out when i was telling my story we we do rely on one another's strengths strengths and and if i'm missing something you're always there to to bring it in and and vice versa so it is different and let me tell you <laughs> This is how different it is. It's the difference between Andrew showing up to the studio <laughs> yeah. when it was going to be his his turn to do the story. He was very like <laughs> intentional and a little more subdued. And sweaty. A little bit sweaty and nervous. <laughs> and when he rolled into old Judy's uh, driveway today, the music was blaring. He had his sunglasses on and his head was bopping back and forth. Oh, yeah. And he leapt out of the vehicle even with his uh, torn muscle in his calf, he got so much airtime, and he was just like, "I'm ready to go, buddy." So, so he is absolutely in his element right, right now. Right as I was about to pull in, uh, Lenny Kravitz, "Are You Gonna Go My Way?" came on the radio. Oh, that's fitting. It's a great song. Yeah, yeah, and it has a really good start. So I just 
just pumped it up and <laughs> was backing down the driveway yeah. and in my groove feeling good yeah. and then i was the one that getting out a little gingerly but but <laughs> truth be told i i am a little more comfortable uh, when the spotlight's on me and that's got me into problems in the past <laughs> but it's also good when it i'm in good hands with andrew so mm -hmm. let's get going all right we keep avoiding starting so so i'll start with a a question that i i formed upon reading one of your blog posts Oh. On the leaping connection. Oh, yeah. So I want to ask you why you once had a goal to run five miles without breathing through your mouth. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm having like the experience that Sarah had now. Sarah Gross, when she talked about a blog she wrote all these years ago, and my mind is now going back to that moment. So... Um, yes. So I read a book at the time called The Oxygen Advantage. And it's a phenomenal book. And it's a book written about, it's a, it's a doctor who, who spent most of his life with some severe asthma. And so he, he was very prone to like asthma attacks and just that he grew up with a, with a strong sense of what it was like to struggle to breathe. And so through his research, like, like many entrepreneurs, he was almost like a, a medical entrepreneur. He decided to solve his own problem by um, he didn't want to deal with the, with typical recommendations for asthma. He didn't want to deal with, with all that. So he wanted to try and change it. And so he did a bunch of research into changing breathing. And what he discovered was we tend to be mouth breathers. Now, the word, the phrase, you're laughing because the phrase mouth breather is kind of an insult, right? Yeah. Especially in old movies, it'd be like, you mouth breather. And it's like, I don't know why that's an insult, <laughs> no. but, but it was kind of said insultingly, yeah. right? And, and um, I, I think what it is, is it's kind of connected to the idea of it might refer to a certain type of person who's perhaps not as diligent with the way they take care of themselves. Hmm. And so they tend to breathe through their mouths a lot more hmm. um, because they're, they're having to exert more and it's a little more difficult to do the normal human activities. Wasn't that a nice political way to say all that? Yeah. <laughs> That's the way he said it, basically. I, I had never thought that deeply about the insult mouth breather. No, I know. And so, you, you know, stop calling people that, folks. <laughs> um, and so it, a lot of us do. And it's not just people who are who are out of shape or, or perhaps a little overweight that breathe through their mouths. It can, be, it can be anybody. And it's very bad for us. And the reason why it's bad for us is because if you think about it, our mouths have no filters. Now that can be taken two different ways mm -hmm. as it should be. We know Trump or Trump. <laughs> we know Trump has zero filter on his mouth. But the other more more uh, realistic thing is we don't have a filter for the air coming into our body. It goes right into our lungs, but our nose has a built-in filter as mm. as we know. And so um, part of his research showed that people who breathe exclusively or mostly through through their mouths tend to get sick more often, which makes sense because it's uh, they don't have a filter with all the pathogens they're breathing in, yeah. and it tends to lead to asthmatic conditions. And so he started. Um, imagine how difficult this would be just the sense of not being able to breathe, um, you know, as someone with asthma, and then training yourself to only breathe through your through your nose. Mm -hmm. uh, it was very difficult in the beginning. But then um, he kind of got it down and everything began to change. He's basically asthma-free now. And hmm. he basically cured himself just by changing his breathing. So the reason I, I, I wrote about that was because through my, through my own journeys, through I've never had asthma, but through my own journeys of panic and anxiety and things like that, breathing became something I no longer took for granted. Um, just this sense of breathlessness 
And so um, I was just interested in the topic. And being a runner, um, he talks about trying to exercise by only breathing through your nose. Because, and, and athletes actually know this, that the, that the less, that the more carbon dioxide you have in your body, the, the, the worse your results are going to be. It's very meditative as well to be breathing. If you're talking about starting a meditation, you're you're focusing on the breath and you're focusing on deep breaths because we often go through a lot of our lives, especially when we're in periods of stress with very shallow, short breaths. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not healthy. No. And it's not healthy for us physically and it's also not healthy mentally. So the, the whole concept of taking deep breaths is, is so simple. And, and I remember as a child, you know, if you if I got angry, it was like okay, I'm just supposed to take a couple deep breaths. But like, what's that going to do? Sounds mm-hmm. ridiculous. But it is it's scientifically proven, and it it actually works. So yeah, that that's awesome. And I didn't expect this to go on such a <laughs> down such a path here. But it it is really interesting stuff. And also, I appreciate how it's brought back to your story a little bit with mm-hmm. the panic attacks. So I do want to ask about exercise and running in particular. And I'm wondering, is that something, because now you use it as a way to clear your head, although yeah. it occasionally results in you separating your shoulder, um, but you use it to clear your head, you yeah. use it to find some peace and, and connection. So when did you begin to understand that and utilize it in dealing with stress? You know, n- not soon enough. So, so my, my stress and anxiety really began in my early 30s. So this is about a decade ago. And um, I, I've always been an athlete, um, you know, just played sports my whole life. And But I was never a runner and I never like hiked or I never did any of that kind of stuff. So I had never equated exercise with mental wellness ever. I just did it because I loved playing hockey and I loved playing basketball and I loved doing all the sports I played, a little bit of soccer, just for the love of the game. It wasn't for the love of my mind or for, for health reasons, love of the game. So it wasn't until my my early 30s I started suffering greatly men, um, mentally that um, I began to almost naturally find, you know what, when, when I went outside and, and kind of went for a run, I, I sure felt it 10 times better about my situation. That has not changed, by the way, but but I now feel a lot better for it. So I, I feel like I discovered it by just naturally. Like I didn't read a book that said, hey, you know, if you want to, there's a strong mind-body connection. And if you want to, if you want to be free mentally, you need to go out and push yourself physically. This was not an intellectual pursuit. Mm-hmm. It just did it, felt it, and wanted to feel that way again. Hmm. Awesome. Now, we'll definitely get into that period of your life as we continue. But I wanted to jump back into a period actually before you were even born and have a discussion about some some deep family trauma that as we've learned from some of our conversations ancestral trauma is real it impacts us in ways that we don't fully understand or realize and and it can even cause changes in our in our brain development and and in our dna it's been scientifically proven that it changes our dna when there's significant trauma that has affected us. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought uh, this is something we've spoken about a little bit, but I don't think we've actually spoken about on the podcast. And there was a significant event that happened in your father's life that was before you were born. And, and I know you know what I'm talking about, so I was wondering if you 
if you could speak to that. Yeah. So I shouldn't be here. That, that's the bottom line. There, I, I'm. I, I wouldn't say I'm a mistake, but I'm maybe a, a bit of a, a bit of a miracle in a way. Um, my dad. My dad was married. Um, he had, he married um, a woman who had uh, already had a boy and already had a girl. Um, her husband had died tragically a few years before that um, of a brain tumor, and my dad had met and married her, and then um, he had started his family. This was in the sixties. Um, essentially he was out of town one day. Um, he was, he was up in Canada. Actually, he was living in Texas. He had met her in Texas and he was up in Canada doing some schooling. Um, when, a horrible thing happened. So his uh, wife and his daughter and his sister were, were out for a walk and they're walking across a road. And, um, this particular road, I, I've, I've been there since and seen it. It's, uh, they're walking across the crest of a hill. And these two cars came up the hill uh, racing and uh, ran over them and uh, they were all killed instantly. Um, policemen have, have said um, have said years later, it was, it was still the most traumatic thing that they'd ever seen. Um, it was horrible. My dad's brother had to be the one to go and identify the remains. Um, it just became this massive, massive family tragedy. Uh, my dad wasn't wasn't even in the country at the time, so... So he had the, I've thought about this so many times in my mind. Um, he had to show up at his sister's house and um, there was no cell phones, no nothing. And he just showed up, got out of the car and there they were telling him the news of what just happened. Um, he, um, my brother at the time, the, the um, my brother, Alan, who was, um, who was his wife, Cindy's son, um, was with him. So, um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't part of that. Which was which we're thankful for that, but um, my sister told my dad what had happened, and then my dad had to go out and tell. My brother tells a story about how um, he remembers sitting on my dad's knee as a four-year-old, and my dad telling trying to explain to him how his mom and his sister um, and his auntie had just been killed. And uh, my dad probably this story I just told is is from is fragmented because he never really talked about it. Um, I think part of the reason was it was just so traumatic that we just, and, and he's from a generation that did not talk about trauma and also just to protect perhaps, um, my, my mom and, and things like that. But, but these stories come partly from Alan, partly from some of my dad's family, but my dad may have talked about it once or twice. And so, um, years later when my dad married my mom and then I was born, that, that, that's why I say I was a bit of a miracle. And, and there's, there's some odd, when I think about it long enough, there's some strange feelings I have, like, um, three people had to die tragically for me to exist. And, um, I don't know, it's a bit of a mind meld a little bit, a bit of a plays with your mind a bit when you think too much about that. But that's, that was, that was my, and that changed my dad forever. He was never the same after that. And it explained a lot of his, his personality and, and things like that. How so? How do you think it affected him? Or it's obvious how it, it might have affected him. But how, how do you think that affected your family dynamics and, and your own upbringing? Um, my dad would never went to therapy. 
never spoke to a professional about this, which is insane. My, my mom is a, is a professional counselor now, and she has even said that like, he absolutely should have talked to somebody. Um, so because of that, I think a wall went up at that point. And I know some of our past guests have spoken about that um, upon a tragic experience in their life. A wall went up that never went that never went away, and and for him, my dad would just go into his mind a lot when when he had a when he had a difficult moment or a difficult situation, he would just disappear, not physically, but he would just disappear. We could just see it come over his eyes, and he would just go off into this other. He had his he had a system right when, when we go through trauma and, and we don't get it fixed or solved, we create a system of of life we've created a system of, of making life livable um, and my dad was was against drinking so he never had a drop of alcohol never once which which is shocking because most people if they experience that that might be the first thing they reach for he never spoke to a therapist never had a drug alcohol never never had a puff of a cigarette or of any kind of drugs nothing so he got through it um, in his words through his faith in god and he he often says the only thing he's ever he said about it was I don't remember a thing for a week after, I just know I wouldn't have got through it without God, hmm. and and, the, and so faith was everything in my dad's life. I mean, everything. He he was the epitome um, of he he walked his talk. Whatever he believed, he fully believed with with all of his heart, and uh, it informed his entire life. Would you say that his dependence on faith mm-hmm. increased as a result of that? And, and I'm curious, especially about the community that you were brought up in mm-hmm. and whether that was a bit of a defense mechanism for what had happened. And obviously it's something that significantly shaped your life. So was that, was the community that you brought up in a, a direct result, do you think, or, or a corresponding result of, of that trauma? Yeah, I mean, I, I, would say, I would say partly. Um, he was born in a conservative Christian household as well. Mm-hmm. And his parents and his grandparents were very, very strong in the faith. Um, they were part of a church called the Church of Christ. Um, some people, sometimes people confuse this with the Mormon church. It, it was not the Mormon church. Um, it was a church similar to perhaps like a Baptist church type church. A lot more people are familiar with the Baptist. Very, very conservative. Um, the Bible is the beginning and end to, to everything. Um, if it's not in the Bible, then 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 we just need to trust God. And um, But most things are in the Bible. So they just sort of grew up with, with literally a handbook or a rule book on life. And and so he was raised in that already. But I would say this this trauma from, from losing his, I mean, all the girls in his life, um, and then his parents had died um, a few years after that. So he, he often talked about um, losing the five most important people in his life within a few years. His mother, his father, his wife, his daughter, and his sister. Um, I just think that took his faith that he already had. And, you know, you use the word dependency. That's a curious way to say it because um, in a way, God became perhaps the drug to help him. Um, get through his day and get through life. And you might say that's better than alcohol and that's better than than drugs himself or that's better than everything else. But um, it definitely created some blind spots 
mm-hmm. in my in my view, and um, and it also mor- morphed into his work workaholism, which which really became um, I would say one of the uh, one of his dependencies to get through it. Because the, the great thing about working, he worked for a Christian school, so that, so they combined his faith and his work. The great thing about that is when you're working, you really don't have to think about this horrible, horrible pain that that you've tucked away. Um, and and he's doing God's work at the same time. He, he's doing the work of the Lord. He fir- firmly believed that that was his. He was his. We talk in we talk in our our faith, um, in in our Christian upbringing. We talk about being called by God, and what we mean when we say that is we, is we strongly believe that God like set us apart to do a certain work, and we don't really have much. Uh, once we know that work, we don't really have much choice in, in whether or not we do it. We we've been called by the. God of the universe, you better do it. Hmm. And and he believed that he believed he was he was called to be a teacher, and uh, and he did. He taught in the in the Christian church and in the Christian schools for his whole life, and um, and that was his life for sure. So, you've often said that you were raised to be a preacher and and really to do a lot of the same work that your dad was doing. Yeah. Those who know your story know that that did not persist no but was there a time when that is was an opportunity to continue in your father's footsteps and and you had a lot of excitement to to be in that role well i mean to be honest andrew if you would have asked me as a kid what i wanted to be when i grew up i did not say preacher i actually said professional hockey player (laughs) but it turns out you got to be pretty good at hockey (laughs) to to be a professional hockey player i think a lot of canadian kids (laughs) said they wanted to be a professional hockey player so that would have been the first thing that I would have said if I'd been asked. And, you know, that went away, you know, when I was eight or nine years old or when I finally started playing hockey and realized, boy, I'm not even the best on my little house team, let alone the best in my city. So that went away quickly. And 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 I didn't have this sense. Like I said, I'm raised to be a preacher. I'm more talking about the trajectory of my life. Like I wasn't a 10 year old thinking about one day I'm going to be the preacher for the Lord and, and bring people to faith in Jesus. You know, this this was not something that developed until really I went to college, um, and so um, and, and honestly, I I I think I got into it because um, I experienced some success at it. Like I knew I could get up and preach, and people would respond well. And some real mentors in my life at the time, and including my parents, really said, "We think you could make a great preacher." And so I think I went into that field because. Um, people believed in me hmm. and, and that's strong when people believe in you at a certain time in your life where perhaps you're still struggling to believe in yourself and your 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 formative years you may fo- you may just listen to what those people say and not give it too much thought well and, and what i hear you saying is that they didn't believe in your faith exactly they believed in your ability to 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 preach to right and and by preach it's it's be on stage, be sure. speaking with conviction, yeah. be um, captivating. Yeah. But it wasn't necessarily aligned with your devout faith. Well, I, I think so in a way because because um, I had no doubts about my faith until I had, you know, the doubts that would definitely bring my faith down. And I think my story is unique in that way because I have talked to so many people who ultimately did leave the faith as an adult, but they kind of had lingering doubts all along. I had no doubts until I had full doubts. And this is kind of just partly my personality. I get that from my dad. We can be very one-track minded. 
um, just just ask my wife <laughs> or your podcast partner. Uh, yeah, or my podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can get into my monologues and just be like, "Oh wait, I'm not alone here." Um, but or, or, or you believe something and you believe it to be ab- the absolute truth, right? And, yeah, and exactly. You're certain of it. Yes. And then you end up lost. But but here's the thing: we believe things because we are certain of them. Yeah. It's not just me. This is human nature. This is why we believe them. To believe something that you that you're not certain of. Um, makes you know is would not be real mm-hmm. right I, I agree but also there's the principle of of questioning yes i have and we can learn a lot by being uncertain and questioning and being curious so that's a great point there in my faith tradition there was no room for questions in fact not only were we not encouraged to ask questions we weren't really supposed to ask questions unless they were directly contained in the Bible. Like we could ask questions about the Bible. Hey, this verse seems a bit confusing. You know, it says to stone adulterers. You know, it seems a bit extreme. You know, um, let's talk about this. Sure, they'd be willing to converse back and forth and they had their pad answers and the the answers I would learn too when I went to seminary. We had their pad answers, man. We knew how to defend all the wanky, wonky parts of the Bible. Um, But but there wasn't room for doubt in in my faith tradition. And, And I know that that, that was the death knell for me mm-hmm. is is when I did start to ask very normal questions and questions I as a human being should be allowed to ask about something I've been given my life to. Um, there was no space for it. Um, I, I received um, chast. I was chastised. Um, I, I people would just shut me off. All of a sudden, people stopped following me on on social media in the later years. There was no room for that. And so that was that became a very solitary, scary journey when I ultimately did take it. But before that, man, I was 100% certain. I knew my Bible backwards and forwards. I read the whole thing cover to cover. I had a lot of the verses memorized. I used to go to like, as a kid, like I'd be like the nerd at camp who didn't get the girls, but won all the Bible bowl questions. <laughs> so I'd be like champion of the Bible bowl. But, you know, meanwhile, my, my friends got all the girls. Story of my life. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that, that was me. And, and so... When I finally did lose my faith, that's why it was so traumatic is because up until that point, I had zero doubts and I was, I was thrilled with my life. I knew who I was. I was good at what I did. People responded well. I believed with, with all of my heart, everything I was putting out. Um, it was your identity. It was yeah, exactly, man. It was my complete identity. So do you recall a moment that doubt first surfaced yeah you know I, I thought you might ask that and so I, i've tried to i've tried to go back at that time and, and think about when the first doubt was and I, honestly I, I just have to say i don't know when the first one was because what would have what happened in the beginning is when those doubts started to come in it was almost like say you get an unpleasant thought right um you know we tend to shoo them away or explain them away Oh, well, it's almost just like an intellectual fly. We just Mm. sort of swat it away and we're like, oh, you know, that's nothing. And so it probably happened sooner than I thought. Like I often say it was around 2005 when I finally started to be in the throes of doubt. But I'm sure that that it had already started to happen. Because when I look back in my life, even even in high school and, 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 and then later in college, when I would be in charge of some of the church things, I would deliberately do things backwards just to just to screw with the system well and right like you, i was a bit of an agitator and a shit disturber because you from were an early age yeah you were a prankster i was and, and yeah 
we you've talked about the bullying and the effects and then sure. being in that role on previous episodes so we won't talk too much about that no, here no. but you definitely <clears throat> you weren't somebody who always wanted to like skate inside the lines you you might no. have, you yeah. might have been a a bit of a bible nerd oh i was camp, there wasn't a bit of it I but was. but you were at the same time someone who didn't mind ruffling feathers no and so, and so that's why I say like, uh, it's not like I was just this completely naive. Um, although there was there was a lot of that, especially early on. But I, I did know what I was doing. Like I, I was already questioning some of the form. But here's the thing, Andrew. Like my questions were were contained to the Bible. Mm-hmm. So I was never questioning outside of the faith I was given. I was just questioning everything in the box, right? And and, and which which we all should do anyways. But but my questions, like looking back, they they weren't like for instance, um, m- most people are familiar in church traditions with the idea of communion. The whole idea of you break the bread and you, and you take the grape juice or the wine that symbolizes Jesus' body and His blood. And when you take that, you're communing with Him, and you're also communing with the other with the other people taking it. It's a it's a strong sense of community. Well, I would lead that in our church because we took it every Sunday because it said in the Bible you got to take it every Sunday, the first day of the week, and and so we did it, you know. And um, I, I remember times where I would be leading that, and it was always like the bread, then then the then the grape juice, and then we take up a collection. <laughs> now pay for it, please. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would I remember just deliberately doing the grape juice first, right? And and at the time I'd be looking at my friends like, what a badass I am! Like just completely <laughs> turning turning this faith tradition on its head. Yeah. And, and the listeners who who didn't like like yourself, Andrew, who didn't grow up in the church, you might you probably think it just sounds ridiculous. What, who cares, right? But it was a huge deal. And so I would do stuff like that. And then people would question me. I'm like, what's the big deal? You think God cares? Like we're communing. That's that's the important thing. What's the big picture? That's what I was always saying. Who cares about the form? Why are we doing it? So I was asking those questions um, by you know high school and into college. But I wasn't like stepping outside the box and being like, you know what? Maybe Maybe Jesus really wasn't born of a virgin. Or, or maybe maybe the Bible wasn't meant to be taken literally, and it's just a, a metaphor for people struggling to understand um, things in their life and deal with the idea of death. Like, I, I didn't say things like that, right? But I was still questioning. Mm-hmm. And it reached a point when it seems like there was nothing you were doing but questioning. Yeah, and, exactly. And then you became in a community where you were surrounded by questions and... And then there was nowhere to really turn. So I, I wonder if we could flash, flash forward to that. Yeah, let's do the, it. The dark nights of the soul. Yeah. So so flash or flash yeah flash forward to um I got hired by a, by a church to be the youth pastor. Um, basically, that just meant I was in charge of all the teenagers, and uh, I do programs for them. And um, right about that time, that was that was two thousand and one. So. 18 years ago um and at that time i changed the whole youth program around like i i started doing even bigger bigger changes like i i i focused on bringing in what we called the lost which was people who basically weren't in our church or didn't think like us we would call them lost not knowing how offensive that might be to if they ever heard what we called them but but to us it was a term of you know, they're lost, they don't have this truth, they don't have God, and we have it and we can give it to them. And so the first three years, I really changed the whole youth ministry to be focused on 
on the people outside the church, which was a big deal at the time because our faith tradition was not as focused on that. It was just focused on being right, getting all our ducks in the row, following the commands. So this was another, this just another example of the evolution of my doubts, of me pushing that. And, and then... Um, why, why do you think you made that change to focus on people outside of the church more than those inside? I think I think I just have always had this desire to like not just follow the established way of things or not just go along with the status quo. I've always I've always questioned it. I've always I've always pushed back on it. Part of this honestly like I make myself sound like boy, what an honorable person, you know, willing to follow the status quo. I mean, I think a lot of it is just me being an egoic immature person who is just like I'm not going to be told what to do. I want control. Hmm. You know, and so I'm going to change it and you can't really tell me I can't change it because it's not that big of a deal. And I could like explain my way around it. So it wasn't like I was being this like, you know, kind and and, uh, and and thoughtful person by making these changes for the church. I mean, I did believe them, but a lot of it too was just me not wanting to f- do something just because they said I had to do it. And so that, that was part of it. But But that all was still connected to this part of me that was always like question um, and um, and don't just do it because it's it's written um, and so once I started doing that it's a bit of like you know you sort of open the can of worms right as soon as you make that switch in your mind it, like you know I think we're going to talk about belief a little bit a little bit later in, in some of the science behind belief but um, one of the interesting things about belief is is um you know, at the time you're doing it obviously because you believe it and, there, and there's no other way. But when you when you begin to question that belief and, and it be, and it becomes unanchored in your mind. Well, I mean, you all of a sudden create room for new things to fill that. And so once I had left, like, you know, took the anchor and we w- went back out to sea in my mind, so to speak. I mean, I was totally vulnerable now to new ideas, which is really the point. And some people might call that growth. Although, you know, people in the church at the time did not use words like growth. <laughs> you know, they, they used words like um, being a heretic and, and things like that. And so this all leads up to, you mentioned the dark night of the soul. Um, it, it turns out that um, if you don't honor the truth that's happening in your life, um, you will pay the consequences for that. And so here I am paid, you know, uh, you know, we could survive. I mean, you don't do ministry because of the money, but, you know, here I am being paid to promote a certain thought and theology and program. I have three little kids at the time. You know, I have, I have my, of course, Angie. And and I, I'm like, we're relying on this salary. And the church is relying on me to like instruct the youth in the way of, of behavior and thought. And and I get to a point where I'm realizing I, I do not believe this anymore. Um, and... But I would explain it away. You know, perhaps I would utilize some of my dad's uh, methods and just go to another part in my mind and um, bury it a little bit and just be like, no, no, no. I could just focus on what's really important. Like what's important is the kids have a nice community. They're, they're here on a Friday night, not out on the streets doing God knows what, you know, as we would say often in the church. Hmm. You know, I could focus in on stuff like that, but not honoring what was happening inside me. And so this all came to a came to a climax one night. And I've talked about this a few times. Woke up at 2 a.m. And um, 
you know, I'm just, I'm pausing because I'm, I'm actually putting myself back, back in that situation so I can kind of share it a bit better. I remember waking up with this feeling of impending doom. Like, like uh, um, the sensations in my body were, I, I, I felt like I couldn't breathe. Um, it was it was dark as it is at 2 a.m. I felt completely unsafe, even though I'm in my own bed laying next to my wife. Um, I felt completely alone. Um, and and the uh, this fear and dread, and I'd never experienced anything like that in my life, and I had no idea what was happening. And, and someone who likes to be in control and control things, I felt so out of control. Um, I laid there, which, which felt like felt like hours, really, but it was probably minutes. And I finally just managed to kind of get myself up and, and stand up. And, and I just walked walked a bit and then just sort of fell back down on the bed and ended up sitting sitting by Angie trying to catch my breath and trying to figure out what was happening. The idea of like heart attack or, or what's going on here. But I'm in my early 30s, so it's probably not that. My mind's racing. I can't even, you know, anyone who's had an anxiety or panic attack, it's just like you can't you can't get one thought. It's just you're free falling. You're, you know, I, I've described like I felt like I was floating in space. Um, with no sound, no sight, no air, because I didn't have any, and just floating. And then Angie wakes up and she's like, "John, like, what what's happening? What's going on?" And and I just avalanche of tears, um, partly because I'm humiliated, partly because I'm terrified, partly because I, I don't know what's happening on what's what's going on. So I, how does this how does this look to Angie? I mean, and there's and I finally just said, "I don't know. Like, I have no idea." And then he's left. I couldn't be vulnerable at all. I left the room and obviously, as we know, you know, the, the panic subsided 10 or 15 minutes later, as it always does, folks. Um, and and then that was it. And I remember like at breakfast the next morning, <laughs> just kind of being like, <laughs> hey, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, were you, did you, uh, do you remember uh, what happened last I think night? I had a really bad yeah, team last what night. was going on? That was weird, eh? <laughs> But but just thinking it was a one-off, like how naive was I, right? Oh, it's obviously just a one-off. I had some bad chicken wings or something. Um, but as as we know, or as as people may come to know, if they go on the same journey, is this was my true self trying to get my attention, saying, "Hey, listen, there's a big ass elephant in the room, and you need to deal with it. And this is the only way we're going to get your attention by just like." you know, throwing you into a panic and, and, and getting you to be a place where you can finally be with your thoughts. Well, I didn't learn to do that for months after um, these nights continued and, and shockingly they got worse. So what what did the worst look like? I started having horrible nightmares. These nightmares were, were absolutely terrifying, dark. I mean, from being like a, a good old Christian boy to having nightmares where I was, I was dreaming of like um, killing myself with a gun and, and and feeling this like demonic voice. It felt like a demon really in my mind, which which made sense because I, I believed in demons and the devil at the time, um, trying to like encourage me to off myself. And, and the weird thing is, is, is um, sometimes people when they've heard that, they're like, oh, so for a while you were suicidal. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a traditional idea of being suicidal. Like there was no part of me that wanted to die. Like I, I did not want to kill myself. But there was this part of me that felt like inside that that wanted part of me to die. It's the only way I can explain it. And so looking back, I kind of think that um, it, it, in a sense, it was my true self, the, the part of me that was true, that was unspoiled by all these thoughts and expectations of other people, my true self 
realizing that this counterfeit was taking its place and it wasn't going to have it anymore. And, and I've looked back and seeing like my true self was saying like, you got to get rid of that guy. That guy needs to die. Now I didn't know that at the time, of course, or else, you know, life would have been a lot easier, mm -hmm. but you know, upon 10 years of reflection and reading, you can look back and start to see kind of what was happening. So if you were to give somebody advice, perhaps they're, it's unlikely they'll be going through the exact same experience no, that you sure. had, but if they're experiencing some sort of loss of identity or their true self is trying to tell them something or, or they're just really being overcome by anxiety or, or panic, what advice might you give them? So the best advice I could give for anxiety and panic disorder is, you know, sometimes um, it's a real clinical problem. And the problem is to do with, with, with brain chemistry and trauma that needs to be dealt with with a professional and drugs, honestly. And there's a stigma around both those things. And it's crazy because people are living in these nightmares and they feel like they can't go see a counselor or a therapist. They can't, you know, take the prescribed drugs because, you know, it means they're weak and it means, you know, or perhaps it just means they're admitting finally they actually have a problem. Let me tell you, um, yeah, my my panic and anxiety um, didn't require that, but that does not mean that yours doesn't. So I, I would first, I just want to start off by saying like, it may require more um, extreme. You might feel there are extreme ways of dealing with it. And so I would I would recommend everybody talk to a local counselor um, if, if, if anxiety and panic are taking over your life. But for me, I always knew it wasn't like a result of, of brain chemistry. It was a result of... Um, where I was at in my mind and it was a result of the situation that was happening. And so for me, what I learned in my way out ultimately became um, learning to be with those thoughts and learning to listen to those thoughts because my true self was reaching out and trying to tell me what I needed to hear. And I was put and, and I was so terrified by the voice and by the physical sensations of anxiety. I was shutting him down. I was turning him on mute and I wasn't listening. And so he persisted and it got worse and worse and worse. So I would say, if you're feeling those feelings, perhaps start off by trying to listen. Put away the phone. Um, go to a safe place. Perhaps that's in the woods. Perhaps perhaps a place in your, in, in your, um, in your house. And be alone with your thoughts and see what they're saying. Because here's the thing, folks. A thought may feel dangerous, but it's actually not dangerous. It's just a thought. And we have thoughts all the time. And, and you don't have to believe everything you think, as, as Thich Nhat Hanh says all the time. And that idea really helped me in the early days of you don't have to believe just because it's in your mind doesn't mean it's true. And so for me, just learning to be with those thoughts and, and learning to hear what they're saying um, and then realizing, I mean, I felt relief start to come. All, all of a sudden, my, my chest that felt like it was tight for years and it probably was started to just I just felt like, you know, the. The, um, the vest that I had been wearing was I could start to unzip it a little bit and just start to feel my chest expand and I could feel it coming again. So that'd be my best advice is um, be alone with your thoughts, listen to what they're saying, and then have the courage to follow them um, despite what happens. I mean, it might mean a big life change, but you know what? Your life's already changed. Hmm. You're living, you're living a, a small version of, of who you're meant to be. So you've already, you're already committed to change. Just commit to better change. It would be my advice. So I want to jump ahead a little bit here. And because 
as everyone who is listening now knows, you you did decide to leave the church and you made a a, a huge decision for your family and and for yourself and for your identity. And you decided instead of kind of just starting new, you would go to Europe for three months. Yeah. Yeah. With your three young children. Yeah. And I, I want to understand <laughs> upon losing your faith mm-hmm. and, and your identity and your source of income, where you found the faith mm-hmm. to make that choice and go on that adventure. Yeah, man, that's, that's a great question. Um, I want to, I want to just add something before I go on there. Um, you know, you keep saying I made this choice and then I moved my family and stuff. This obviously couldn't have happened without Angie, right? And and a lot of people might be thinking right now, like, did Angie share your faith? Like, like how could a marriage survive when two people had the same faith and the same values and then one person lost those? Well, here's the thing. Angie had been going through the same journey years before. Um, and she, she went through it even worse than I did um, because she couldn't talk to her preacher husband. Hmm. And in fact, the few times she tried, I was not in the space to deal with it. And I was an absolute son of a bitch the way I dealt with her. Um, I shut her down. I made her feel small. I said the same things that people would say to me. Just, it's obviously because you're not reading or praying enough. Your faith is obviously weak. That's why you're having these doubts. It's not rocket science. Just go read it. Read the Bible more. Of course, if you read these other books, you know, these these doubt-filled books, you're, you're going to be confused. Just go back to God. Well, like I would say things like that. And I still feel shame about that. I mean, it, it took, I'm still trying to forgive myself for that. So surprise, surprise, Angie, you know, went on her journey alone. So in a lot of ways, I look back on that and see that her, her journey was so much more courageous because she was totally alone. She couldn't even talk to her husband about it. And so I often say, like, when I finally came through my journey, um, I, I like to think of it as like coming through a doorway and into a new chapter and a new life. And Angie was on the other side with her arm extended saying, what took you so long? Mm-hmm. And um, I, um, I I would not have been able to fully take that journey without her doing that. And so I just think the listeners need to know, like, she was, she was ahead of me on that. And that's why we were able to navigate and we didn't lose our marriage, marriage over it. I think most people would have lost the marriage over like a complete value and worldview shift in a marriage. And, um, but we, we were, we were lucky that way, I guess. So if you were to express that gratitude to Angie for being on the other side of the door, as you finally came through, Mm -hmm. what might that gratitude look like? I would just say thanks for waiting for me. I mean, she could have just moved on. And, and and by moving on, I don't mean just like file for divorce. I just, although that could have happened, but just move. She could have moved on emotionally. She could have just been like, you know, he he's not willing to 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 uh, love me for who I am. And so I, I, there's no point in, in staying around. But she wait. She did wait for me. Um, and so. There's, I don't, I have trouble having words to say what that means, but just that was everything. That was true love. That's really what love looks like is loving and accepting for people for who we are, not for who we aren't. And that's the gift she gave me. And I think it allowed me to come through. Um, I mean, I could have come through the door and she'd be nowhere to be found. And eventually I would have found her. But it's like, 
she was there. She was waiting. It's like she was, she's like, you know, we can do this together. I'm glad you finally came around. Um, so, so hun, if you're listening, <laughs> I love you so much. Uh, what a gift. Um, so, so now to, to answer your question about how this, the reason I told this was because you asked about how were we able to like quit our job and go to Europe? Well, obviously you can't just, you know, you just don't inform the, the family one night. Mm-hmm. Hey, by the way, honey, I quit my job. <laughs> I booked some trips to Europe and we're headed. This was once again, her idea. Um, she saw how much I was been suffering. Mm. She, she saw the guy at two in the morning. Um, she saw the guy like struggling, to, struggling to breathe in Costco having a panic attack. She was there for all that kind of stuff. She saw the toll it was taking. She knew why it was happening. And so she finally came to me and just said, like, like, I know, I know you're, you feel like you can't leave your church um, because it's who you are. I know that you feel like it's irresponsible as a husband to quit his job. And, and, and when you have three young kids who are depending on it, but she's like, you have to do it. We have to quit. We have to move on. And, and, and I was like, right away, I was like, what, what, what would we do? Because let, let me tell you, folks, all I was trained to do was be a preacher. And let me tell you, that training is, well, I thought at the time, unusable anywhere else. I can't like all of a sudden say, I'm leaving the church. I'll get a job as a manager at Home Depot. And hey, look, at I got a degree in you know ancient biblical literature. Is that helpful? No. So I knew that in the back of my mind, what am I going to do? I didn't have a lot of skills. Like I've never been skilled with my hands in terms of like, you know, I could just, you know... <laughs> throw throw a shed together over the weekend you know or or mechanically and so i was like i can't get a job in the trades what am i going to do um and she just said like like we'll figure it out mm-hmm. uh, i said well what are we going to do in the meantime and we had, we had managed to buy a house in calgary before the big boom and um and so we we she just said let's sell our house let's take some of that and let's we've always wanted to travel we've, we've always wanted to go to europe there's there's no way that's going to turn out badly. You know, at least we can do that. What an experience it'd be for our young kids. Um, we can homeschool them all through the fall. They can learn about Rome by being in Rome. It'd be wonderful. And and then I, I finally just started to get together with the idea. So I, I put in my notice with the church. And let me tell you, like, the church really didn't know that I was going through all this major doubt. In fact, they couldn't. They would have fired me, right? I think some people sort of put two and two together after I left. And we're like, oh, okay, that's why he was bringing a Buddhist in to t- talk to the teens, <laughs> which I did do. That's why he brought in a Muslim to talk to the teens and share his faith. And that's why he was doing, you know, he was bringing instruments into our church that we've never allowed instruments before. That's why women were allowed in leadership. Oh, I see it. Boy, he was he was losing his faith and he was just, you know, trying to just, you know, s- s- you know, tread water with his faith by, by having these, these um, alternatives. And, you know, I'm glad I did all those things because... The teens' worldview was expanded, but at the same time, you know, I was I was hired to do something else, <laughs> so so I did have to leave. In terms of making that choice, yeah, which you did it with Angie, obviously, but in terms of you making the choice to to go along with it and right. being someone who has a a close relationship with control, yeah, man, yeah, how did that, yeah play out good question i think you asked that earlier and i I didn't answer it so thanks for re-asking it (laughs) um so to that this was 2008 and this was the year i i I decided to um take on fear because panic and anxiety had turned me into basically um you know i I was was almost afraid of my own shadow 
I, I didn't feel safe anywhere in with any person. And this is what anxiety and panic does to people is all of a sudden there's nowhere safe. So I decided I have to deal with this. So I made a list of all the things I feared and one by one by one, I confronted every last one of those can, things. Can you give us a couple of oh, examples? Oh, yeah, I will. And so some of these might just seem as like superficial things, but they're huge for me. But like one of my big things was um, um, like heights. I'm always afraid of heights. So um, I went skydiving. So so I didn't just like start by like going on the roof of my house. <laughs> I'm like, let's go. Let's go 15,000 feet up in the air and, and jump out of the airplane with a parachute. And when I did do that, um, the absolute fear combined with the absolute euphoria and then when i landed and i was fine i mean it all of a sudden reminded me that like why on earth was i fearing that i mean it, it's like i felt like i dealt with that fear in that one jump and so there was that and then um i remember when it went paragliding i remember and so i was doing all these things and then i was afraid of, of planes a little bit at the same time because of just being like totally not in control the heights combined with like, I'm sitting in this like really claustrophobic area with, I can't do anything. Like what if I wanted to get off the plane? I can't, um, I, I have no idea. Like they're flying it. I have no say in how fast we like, you can imagine how airports and airplanes kind of began, um, began to become hotbeds of anxiety for me. So what, what a better reason or be, what a better way to get rid of that by flying across the world to Europe and then taking like, you know, a bunch of flights in Europe. And so how did I get rid of this? By confronting it, literally. That that was a prescription. You're afraid of it? Take it on head on. And now I would say, um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this for every single person. You have to be, you have to know yourself well enough to, are you in a mental state where you can handle that kind of exposure therapy is what they call it. Mm. Um, you may not be in that state. So I'm not telling you folks like, it, you know, just right now, just throw caution in the wind and, throw yourself full into um, all your fears. Um, although, you know, you may you may find out you are stronger than you think. And uh, it ended up being a magical three months, man. Um, there are some there are some cool stories there, but but I'm, there's probably lots more other stuff we can talk about. <laughs> um, so jumping ahead again, mm -hmm. you decided to, your family decided to come over here to the West Coast of Canada. Yeah. And where Angie's parents lived, I believe that's that's right. Yeah, yeah. they live in Crofton. Yeah. yeah, and then you decided to start a little landscaping business. And one of the things you learned early on, and you had no experience in, in landscaping. I think I have a bug flying like right in front of my face. Do you see that? I think it might just be a stray hair. <laughs> Is it? This might be the second straight episode where we've had bugs. No, it's like a fuzzy thing. Okay. Yeah, Maybe it was it. like a little. Oh, it's a spider. Oh, is it? Yeah. There, whole... <laughs> there was a spider. I no. hope you don't have a fear of spiders. No, and it's it's so tiny that it looks it just tiny. like a little piece of fuzz. Well, don't kill them. No, no, because no, they're I, good. You know, they're beneficial yeah, insects. They eat Speaking bugs. of landscaping, <laughs> yeah. Don't kill spiders, folks. Well, and it's, it's adorable. A, it's a good segue. Yeah, I'll it just is. keep them. I'll keep them on my finger. Wow, these are that's pretty. Our new, mascot of our podcast and folks andrew has a spider crawling on him right now and he is cool as a cucumber i like spiders wow it's pretty small also to, true. to be fair yeah true so you you discovered early on one that weeds are actually good for soil mm -hmm. and two that people don't care and want them gone yeah so that's right i and i think there's a really good analogy in that mm. But also, 
Why did you decide to start a landscaping business when you had no experience there? Take take us through that those first days of lush eco lawns. Yeah, well, I mean, the reason why I started a landscaping business is, um, and, and this is a small part of my story, is when I first came to the island, I had I had deluded myself into thinking I could still do ministry. Right? Um, like I thought, you know what, maybe it was, I, I, and this is how we rationalize um, our decisions, when, especially when, when we're feeling um, um, insecure. I, um, I said, maybe it was just that church that I had the problem with. You know, maybe I could do a different church. And so I, I was on the one yard line with getting an, a new job with a, with a great new church. And, um, and before I got the job, they'd, I mean, they they made the job around my strengths. It was going to be perfect. Um, they said, we just need to do one, one, one more thing, just, just formality. We're just going to send you this document you need to sign. Just send it back. And then we're golden. I was like, oh, kind of like a contractor. Yeah, I like a contract. So I got it. It came in. I looked at it. It said statement of faith at the top. And there was about 10 things I just had to check off. And I was like, so this is it. I can have a secure job again. It's been like six months since I had a secure job. Um, we don't have to worry anymore. Sweet. So I got the pen and I started to just mindlessly go through and check them. And uh, and then when all of a sudden, I that true self, you know, that one that's been waking me up in the middle of the night, that one that had been causing the anxiety to get my attention, was like, you can't, like, what the fuck? Like, you can't sign this, man. Like, are you serious? You, you really think after all we've been through, after all we've <laughs> talked about, you really think we can sign this document? It's a, you don't believe this stuff. You don't believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Literally. You don't believe that he was born of a virgin. Literally. You know, you, you don't believe that the Bible is the only source of truth. How on earth are you going to sign this and then take their money and, and, and preach them about that? And so I remember making the most awkward phone call in my life and just calling the guy and being like, Hey man, like I got the thing and I'm just, I'm so sorry, but I'm just not going to be able to sign it. Oh, what do you mean? I was like, there's just, there's some stuff on there. I just, I don't agree with. He's like, well, what stuff? And I was like, well, everything you sent. Yeah. <laughs> like, is, there, is there any, is there any, is there anything else? <laughs> and, uh, and so I didn't sign it. And, um, he was, he was grace. He was uh, graceful to me and, uh, and just said, I well, think you mean gracious, gracious. <laughs> well, he was full of grace. Okay. But also gracious. Yeah. <laughs> And so, um, so not signing that closed the book on, on that chapter of my life f- for good. And so that's why I, I tell that story to say that's why I was able to finally say, okay, this was this was literally June of 20, 2009. And we had been on EI and EI was about to run out. And it was like, okay, you got to find a way to make money. And my mother-in-law said, you know, there's a little sweet old lady up the street who can never find anyone to mow her lawn like you know you could you, know, you could do that in the meantime so i went and bought a mower from sears and and uh, started mowing her lawn and then it went from there man i called myself got grass <laughs> got a lot of early calls in the beginning from people <laughs> wanting a whole bunch of other services and i looking back i may have uh, missed an opportunity <laughs> i probably would have paid better as well yeah you'd have been a pioneer you know and so that's kind of the initial um origin story of lush I, I'm I'm gonna check and see where the spider went, but I think it's I'm I'm worried about putting my hand down and squashing yeah, our mascot. We don't need that bad karma. No, I think it's I think he's moved on. He or she, <laughs> or just look underneath. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think we need to get into gender identity and of arachnids at yeah. this point. No, no, <laughs> that would blow up. <laughs> yeah. But I I wanted to dig into a little bit about the the statement of faith and 
Yeah. Because there's, it's a little bit curious that that's even part of the hiring process. And it speaks to the idea that the questions of faith and, and that fundamental belief are just, they, they abound, they're everywhere. How do you think people are able to go on in those sorts of, with that sort of faith or, or with the, with an unquestioning belief, or is it even possible in, in society today? Well, you know, this just gets us into another or uh, continue the conversation by focusing on, on belief and belief. Um, science has now discovered some interesting things about belief, and perhaps this is a good time to talk about this. Um, belief is our natural state, first of all. That's, that's one thing science has shown us, that belief, not necessarily religious belief, but, but just the idea of belief is an anchor that is important in the evolution of our species. So that's our natural thing, like being skeptic, being, being a skeptic and stuff is not our natural state. That's a choice we have to make. Our default position is belief. And so I think that's one reason why people find it easy because it kind of connects with their default position. Um, and then, you know, the, the, there's, there's been articles written on the whole idea of why, why, did, why did nature select for belief? Like if, if it's caused so many issues with regimes and both religious and, and non-religious and political political things and things like this why, why would nature say yeah yeah keep 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 pushing that one through it's important um part of it is just because belief had a way of uniting um and building the social groups that would help our our our, our species evolve um and and as we know the reason why sapiens became the dominant human species is because their ability to get along in groups and communicate in groups and belief, what a what a better way to organize people and get them to cooperate than one central belief they can all get around. And so that's been around for tens of thousands of years. And and so um, I think that helps answer sort of the larger question. Um, but the onus is on us as an evolved species to begin to do, ask those questions like, but is this belief true? Is this specific thing true? And how do we know if it's true and begin to poke and prod and things like that. A lot of people just stop at that point. They're just like, I believe it. My parents have believed it. I've always believed it. I've always voted Republican. So why question it? Like I already know it's true. Like their mind is already know it's true and, and everything else is just opinions. And so I think that's what it is. Um, I think a larger reason though is the community. And that's why, that's why evolution selected for belief because it builds this strong community we need community. And, and that's another thing we know about our species is we are a connecting species. And so we need human connection. It doesn't matter how shy or, or introverted you are, we all need to feel that connection. And what a better way to connect than through that belief. And people don't want to give up that community and connection. And that was probably one of the more traumatic things I, I felt when I left the church is um, despite me leaving all those theological beliefs, I still loved so many of the people in the church. And, and I still do. And, and my family who's all still religious and, and, all, and preachers and teachers. I mean, that was so hard leaving that community. And I almost stayed just for that community. But, but I think between the, the belief and then the community that that belief gives, um, why would people leave? Now, I am curious a little bit about the impact that it might have had on your immediate family. And oh, yeah. some of them may be listening right now. Mm-hmm. And that could make answering this challenging. But what 
how do you think it affects your your relationships with your family members who were still part of that community and, and had that belief so like i chose i chose to do my grieving and processing of my faith in my loss of faith online by writing blog posts and by attacking people on social media i would say dreadful thing i mean just evil unkind things that would attack their identity and attack their silly beliefs so my pa- family wasn't at a loss at what i was thinking at the time they knew exactly and i think i think they knew me and and i've always i've always you know had a good heart and i've always you know loved people and so i think they kind of thought i was just going through a phase for most of it and so they didn't really come to come down too hard on me they came they came down hard on the part of me attacking other people making other people feel small but in terms of the faith, I don't think they fully believed I was actually losing my faith. I think I was just more in a questioning period because they would email and be like, hey, I saw your post. You know, I remember times when I was questioning too. And I remember times when I felt the the, the uh, darkness of doubt as well. And I remember thinking, reading these like, you know, I, I appreciate and love you guys. But at the same time, no, you don't. You didn't go through this. There's no way you went through this. I mean, you question like things that I saw as like pretty superficial compared to things. I was questioning the whole enterprise. And let me tell you, the way my faith was, it was like a house of cards. You question one thing, you pull out one card, the whole thing comes down. And, and that's the way our faith was, was built. And so my family, they didn't, they, in the early stages, they more just got after me for the way I treated people. But as it, as it became more apparent um, that he really is losing his faith, my dad in particular was, uh, you know, he was also a man of, of control, which, which I think part of that was his personality. Part of that was just learned behavior through, through, through the trauma that he experienced. Um, he had a real hard time with it. And, and we, uh, we had many uh, discussions and, and even arguments. And that was never fully resolved. Um, even up until his death, um, you know, he was still, I know he still died disappointed. Not disappointed in me, and, 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 and to his credit, he was always clear on, he wasn't disappointed in me, he was just disappointed that I was missing out on what he thought was, was a better life, and and ultimately the afterlife. And that really does come into play with our faith as well, is is, is the whole idea of hell, is, is I think they were scared that this, you know, I was on a path to hell now, and they wouldn't spend the afterlife with me. Which which is, you know, a bizarre thing to say for people who are listening who are just who have never been raised in the church but for people in the church it's a very very real concern but interestingly enough i just got a message from my sister um yesterday um, because i had just made a facebook post this week talking about how um, i left the church and lost my faith because because it was connected to me living a lie and and i couldn't do that anymore and she sent me this message about how how emotional she had been this week realizing that I had left my faith and I was like in my mind I'm like Christy this happened like 10 years ago but it was another reminder to to me that I don't think she fully thought I had made that leap away Hmm. and and uh and I think maybe this just goes to we can all do this we can all kind of get in denial a little bit when people we love are are going away from a way of thinking that we used to all be connected with and we can rationalize it away and he's just going through a phase or he's just being rebellious or he's just being a jerk or he's just trying to do this for attention or whatever we say to get us through the day but no it was real it was totally real and and i think in some ways they're now just realizing that so the idea that you mentioned of your father's when he passed away 
left disappointed in you mm-hmm. and it's it's your own story mm-hmm. and it's certainly not a very healthy one in terms of a self-concept no. and i wonder what might be a a more resourceful and more kind to yourself way of thinking about that I think I use the word disappointment just because like he, he would never say I'm disappointed in you. Um, but I know how much faith meant to him. It was everything. I mean, he was one of those rare people who absolutely his, his actions and his thoughts were united. And, um, and so I just, I guess I just tell myself that of course he was disappointed. How could he not be? How could he not be disappointed that his, his, his son, walked away from everything that that really got him through the night and really got him through life. I mean, his faith saved him. I mean, it absolutely saved him. And now his son has, has, has you know, poked holes in it and, and ultimately walked away from it. How would he not be disappointed? Um, so I, I don't know. If, I don't know if that's unkind or just realistic. Um, he didn't say it, but... I don't know another way I could say it where it would be more kind. Than... Well, the thing I, that comes to mind for me is that his faith saved him, mm-hmm. but yours was destroying you. Mm-hmm. And is, is that what he would have wanted? That's a tough one, Andrew, because for people who subscribe to the idea that there is a God and he has revealed himself in the Bible and here's the truths and rules that make up life. Um, that is ultimately their priority. My, the fact that I'm struggling with it or the fact that I don't necessarily agree is besides the point. I think my dad and others would just say, I mean, I'm sorry that it's destroying your life. This is the fact. And you can argue with it if you want. And you can walk away from it. It's not going to change the fact. My dad would often give the analogy of gravity. He's like, John, you can't see gravity, right? No, I can't, Dad. But you feel the effects, right? That's just like God, right? I'm like, okay, I see what you're doing there. <laughs> and uh, and truth be told, my dad was an interesting case because he, he has his PhD in chemistry and physics. And so um, I've often thought about that that as a scientist you do not have the freedom to in to insert a god in the gaps right you don't have the you don't have the freedom to to come up come up against mystery and just be like oh well there's probably this um and so he would not do that in his scientific pursuits but in his personal life with god i mean that that is that is the whole enterprise right we don't we don't see god we don't hear we don't hear his voice we don't we don't have evidence that he exists um now some people would say but we see the effects you know like gravity um but i i have often thought that there was a bit of a disconnect with him like in one area of his life he he couldn't he didn't have the ability to do that and he knew not how how not to do that but in his faith he was able to separate himself a little bit and have faith because you can't have faith as a scientist. I, I just believe that, you know, I just have a feeling or just have a strong emotion that 
you know, this is why this quantum physics makes sense. And it's like, no, you got to show your work, right? And he did show his work. He was a brilliant teacher and a brilliant student, and and he he knew his he knew his stuff, but he allowed himself um, to to do that when it came to his faith. And this isn't, you know, for 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 my family that is listening, and, and my dad that has now passed. This is, you know, the last thing I'd want to be done or to be experienced is is me taking shots at dad or, or it doesn't come across and, that way and i i just i beg people not to not to see that I, I love my dad and and i'm just this is just me reflecting and just i always wonder at how he was able to do that and for my dad he did answer that he said there is tons of evidence and he would always point to the bible right and, and so he would just say you just have to read it and if you don't believe it you don't believe it you know but it doesn't mean it's not true so he felt like he did have the evidence. He didn't feel like he was just abandoning his scientific mind and just like believing, you know, bullshit or, or, or feelings. Um, but, you know, as you know, like there's, there's, there's things that science and history and things like that have, have to say about the Bible. And, and um, so I just think living in those two worlds was, uh, was something, he, you know, he was able to do, but, but I wasn't able to do anymore. A question that you have occasionally asked our guests is about, because we have joked that um, a subtitle or a, a more apt name for the podcast is Daddy Issues. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> he says with a peanut butter cookie in his mouth, uh-huh. or he laughs. But yeah, we have conversations about relationships with our fathers and on a fairly regular basis. And that's probably because we have had our own challenges with relationships with our fathers. Of course. So it, it connects with us. But a question that you have asked is about some of the last memories that you had with your father. And I'm, I'm curious if anything comes to mind when turning that question back on, on yourself. So it came to, it came to a moment when I decided that I didn't want my dad's last year's to just be me and him fighting over basically what I would just say is things we have no evidence for anyways and are just in the realms of faith. It would just seem ridiculous to me um, because I can't prove it to him. He can't prove it to me. So why are we going back and forth? There's lots of things we did. We were firmly united in like our mutual love for the blue bombers and the Oilers. <laughs> and so we could connect that way. But then also um, like when I left the faith, it's not like, like I left all my values it's not like all of a sudden I didn't care about love and kindness and humility and community and and servanthood and all these values that Christianity does have. They do have these. It's not like I abandoned all those. So we still had those those um, those shared values, and I still had a real sense of wanting to help people. So we just began to to, to talk more about that. And so in the last few years, um, I shared everything, all my concerns with him. He shared all of all of his, and and I felt like when he passed. Um, there was nothing left to be said. And so I, uh, but I worked hard at that. Like I did not want to be one of those people. And there's a lot of people who have lost fathers and just have this this experience of no, no closure over some, some things that have happened. And I, and I wanted closure. So we had great closure. And in fact, and I think it's appropriate to just mention um, my final night with dad because it, it brings a lot of these things together. I got the call at work that um, uh, my, my mom called and said that, 
you know, dad's been admitted to hospital in this, for the last 10 years of his life, this was a common thing. And so I just sort of said, oh, you know, I'm really sorry. I hope he's okay. But in my mind, I didn't think this was it or the end or anything. Um, but I could tell it was a bit different as we, as we, as we talked and, and, and she didn't want to say, yeah, I think you should fly out. And so I called my brother and just said, came okay, man, level with me. Like, is this bad? He's like, it's pretty bad, man. You may want to think about flying out. So um, I left work. I was pretty shaken. I left work. Um, literally booked a flight. I left the next morning at 6 a.m. It's 12 hours to get there. Flew down to South Carolina where they lived. Um, got got to the hospital and my dad was unconscious. And in fact, he'd never regained consciousness at that point. Um, and, and a curious thing happened. And it kind of brought together all these things we've been talking about. So I hear, here I am, an irreligious son, um, sitting at the foot of my dad's bed as he's about to go to his next chapter. Um, and all of a sudden I noticed the room was filling up with people and, um, it's, it's, it was, it was like a Thursday night or a Friday night and it was all young people. And I'm like, what is even happening right now? And all of a sudden they, they pulled out a pitch pipe and started singing my dad's favorite hymns. And, um, I lost it. I mean, I broke down. Um, it touched, it touched my history. Um, it touched this sense of these young people who probably had something better to do and here they are giving up a night to to help my dad um and 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 i felt during those songs they sang his favorite songs his his, his countenance changed i mean he was i knew he heard him i knew he heard us and uh that was a powerful moment for me and really struck me that this is what church is always meant to be this is what true Christ, christianity looks like no one's discussing about where he's going to go in the afterlife. No one's discussing the the merits of the the words of the songs. We're singing these beautiful songs, giving these gifts of kindness and love to a man perhaps they don't even really know. And and it just it touched my heart in a profound way. They all ended up leaving, and my mom, uh, we we had to, my brother and I out. My brother Alan and I had to beg my mom to go home. She had been there three straight nights, hadn't slept. And um, she didn't want to leave. And we just said, we got this. We'll, we'll stay beside him. You, you need to go home. So we finally convinced her. She went home. I slept in a chair right beside my dad, um, held his hand, and woke up at 5 a.m. And um, he was still still breathing and stuff. And then I woke up at 6, and I knew before I opened my eyes that he was gone. And I, and I looked, and he had passed. And my brother was still sleeping, and I was like, my, my dad's passed. Like, and I remember feeling like, like I never envisioned this moment. I always thought that I would get a call. Um, he's had a heart attack and he's dead. And now I've now I'll fly and come to the funeral. It's like here I am with him in his last moment. I remember all of a sudden thinking, I better I better make sure this is official. And I ran over into the hallway and got a nurse and uh, said, I think my dad has passed. And we came back into the room and I stood there and I was I was quivering i mean i was i was losing it um and she just put her arm around me didn't even ever say that yeah you know he's passed it was like that's all she needed to say and um and then i realized or i remembered i had to i'm gonna have to call my mom which was a phone call i never thought i'd have to make and i, I remember calling her and she picked up it was a quarter after six and she already knew i mean she knew that um that he was gone and just and started um started crying and and then she came and we had our last moments with him. And it just, 
it, it was a it was a very sacred moment for me, um, and it really brought together my whole life up until that point of, um, you know, this church, this community, this place, this father, everything I knew that I had left, and then in the final moments had come back into, but felt experienced it the way it was always meant to be experienced. And I remember thinking, you know, if that's the way church was. I and a lot of other people would probably still be around because we all, we all are desperate for that kind of community where, where the things that rule are love and kindness and humility and, and truth and not things like, you know, theological and um, preferences and dogma and traditions and who's right and who's wrong and, and, uh, and codes of conduct and behavior and all these kind of things that divide us all. It was in this moment, in this room, I experienced what I felt like was was church, and that was that was a great closure for me with my dad and with our whole our whole faith experience, and and I think it's allowed me to to grieve. My grief was mitigated big time because of all that. Thank you. What do you think the the greatest gift that your father gave you was? I'm just thinking because um, there are so many. I think I always knew without a doubt that he loved me. Even with all our disagreements and, and our strong personalities and both of our needs to control and even control each other, at the end of the day, I never doubted his love for me. And I never doubted that that even even when I was in the throes of my my persecution in some ways of, of his faith and of everything he held dear. I never felt like he ever gave up on me or stopped loving me. Um, and I think that is an absolute tremendous gift. Any father can give their, their, their child that no matter what, as long as they know that you love them, um, they can cover a multitude of, of our, of our errors. And, um, yeah, and I'll, I'll always be thankful to him for that because I know how much his faith meant to him, but he never made me feel like, um, like a like a prodigal son or whatever. He never made me feel like I was an outcast or did, wasn't deserving of his love anymore. And um, and I know that must have been hard for him because it violated some pretty clear black and white ideas he had about his faith. And so I'll always be thankful to to dad for that. Well. I'm no expert and I didn't know him, but I'm pretty sure that love always trumps disappointment. Mm. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I think we can begin to wrap up now. Um, I know one thing you've spoken about a lot is um is that search for community mm-hmm. after leaving the church and and it had been a a challenge for you to fill that void and um wanted to offer some space to speak to how you have done done that and how you've begun to to fill that space that is 
always had such value to you? Yeah. So, so the last 10 years, I would say the first half of those years was just me becoming a bit of a workaholic and just building up my company. Part of that was because I had to. And so I just didn't have room to build a lot of community. Um, but you know, I would, I would, I got connected in like business community. Um, so that, so it kind of got me by, so to speak, like I was part of like local BNI chapters and the chamber and things like that. And, and I began to get some relationships there. But when I say I was missing community, I mean, I was missing the kind of community I experienced in my dad's room, you know, the kind of just unconditional love and kindness and, and things like that. And, 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 uh, and unfortunately, you don't find a lot of that outside the church or it's difficult for me to find that outside the church. And it's almost, it's something I've reflected on a bit because, you know, I think we're in a day, we're in an age of post-church. And for a while, the church was at the heart of the community. In fact, when you go to Europe, as you know, Andrew, the church is always in the middle of town, right? Because it used to be where everything happened. And and the church was the town hall. The church was the was was the was the chamber. I mean, it was, it was all those things, but now it's not like that anymore. And so I feel like there's a gap. I feel like we're post church and I think, and I think that's a good thing in a lot of ways, but we can never be post community. And so trying to find that, that kind of community that, that where people can be free to be themselves and be vulnerable. We talk about vulnerable every episode. Vulnerability just means like being okay with your authentic self, the good and the bad and the ugly, and being okay to share that with people. Trying to find that, um, I, I just, I, I hadn't found that until I met you and until we started our work on the podcast, honestly. I needed to have that community, not just selfishly, but I felt like other people needed it too. And so the whole idea of, of creating a community, the way community, I mean, we know we know this about, about how our species works, but we need to be, be um, we need to gather around a central idea, a belief, so to speak. And so in a way, you know, I've joked and you've, you've sort of smiled, you know, with your smile that this is like just continuing a ministry. And, and what I mean by that is like, in a way, we have our own little church here. Okay, now, now folks, don't, don't worry. We have, we have no plans to indoctrinate you. But I'm just saying, in a way, this is, this is how community works. You have a central idea that everybody gets around. And, and our central idea is obstacles make us more realized human beings. And... and and so there's our thing. And then we have, you know, 35 people we've interviewed already. And they all, they're people and they're all con- connected to our community. And, and we feel it. And, and every week in here, Andrew and I feel this. It feels in some ways like, like going back to some of the groups I was involved in with church. And I only say that because um, we have this strong idea we're all united in. And we're just sharing what it looks like in our life. And there's no like dogma. There's no like, and if you don't agree that obstacles make you more realized beings, you're out of here and you're probably going to die in hell. You know, <laughs> there's, there's none of that, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> right. But yeah, in, in a way, when I look at this, is it's just me and Andrew's graciously come along because I think it connects with his values as well. But um, come, when I say come along, I mean, co- I mean come, come along with my idea, my analogy here. He's okay with it because... Um, because because I think he he also believes we're building this community, mm-hmm. and and so it's that's finally starting to replace this great um, loss or or um, gap that I, that I've been missing, 
and and um so yeah that's it's it probably probably hasn't happened until we did the podcast now we've never broken bread or had grape juice in here although we do have cookies and tea so <laughs> in a sense we are having communion that's why you're so obsessive about always making tea hey? all these rituals man <laughs> it's all coming back yeah well, i'm a little cautious about where what the next steps might be if you try to stick my head under the water at some point i'm gonna resist we're not gonna baptize our guests (laughs) so just continuing that that conversation i really want to um give thanks to the listeners who are really what make the community because yes i don't think we would have lasted this long if there weren't people that were listening and engaged and i just want to really express how much that means and the value of of that to us because it has given us so much and we wouldn't have experienced that if there weren't people who were following along on social media we we see that downloads are happening and it's incredibly empowering and um humbling even that this thing that has started just with us want to have a conversation with one another and, and get into some topics that maybe aren't spoken about in everyday lives that, that it has resonated with people and, and it's incredibly touching and has, has had a, a deep impact. Yeah, guys, thank you. It's, it's, it's such an honor to think that you've, if you've made it this far that you've invested in, in our story, but not just my story. We have 35 other ones that you've listened, you know, you've 90, 90 to 120 minutes you've, you've walked through with, and this is what we mean, why, why it's a community. You are part of a community, whether you believe it or not. Maybe you're just realizing that. And we thank you so much. Um, and, and, and community is ultimately the goal of this podcast. And so continue to reach out, um, whether that's on social media or sending us messages. Or who knows, maybe we'll have some live events in the future. Maybe we'll have some ways we, we can get this community together and continue to tell stories. Um, but but this this truly has become... One of the true honors of my life. And I never knew an Andrew Langford existed. I mean, I never knew I'd find somebody who um, had similar ideas as me and and was okay with <laughs> indulging me in some of my things. And he has taken my idea and, and made it and breathed life into it. I just, it would not have happened without without you, man. I just, I'm, I'm forever grateful. Hmm. Um, I just, and I feel like we're just getting started. Yeah. And we're like 35 episodes in and, um, we haven't, you know, we've told some amazing stories, but there's some amazing stories to tell. And when community's at its best, we all have this one central idea that we're all, we're all giving our lives to. And we, we've seen south of the border, um, how, how it can go wrong. Right. And that's a point I wanted to bring up is unfortunately when people gather around one central idea and it's a bad idea that's when chaos can happen. Mm-hmm. And, and it's why people say, how could so many people vote for Trump and stuff? It, it's the same kind of people that also gather around good ideas and do great things. Well, and it's for the, those people who are supporters of Trump, and it's possible that we don't have any that are listening right now, but it's possible that we do as well. Yeah. And it the, so for, for people who are in support, they don't think it's a bad idea. No, no. But, and... and we have our own judgments about it, but I think part of that judgment is a lot of those ideas are rooted in fear. Yeah. And for sure. So I would say that when our central ideas are, are fear-based, which 
a lot of churches. Yeah, exactly. It, it, that's a part of the fear of hell, man. Yeah, you don't believe this, you're going to be cast in hell. Yeah, and and that's when those collective beliefs can can do a lot of damage. So it's it's something we've we've spoken about being guided by love over fear, and I think that um, that it's something we have to keep in mind when we're when we're choosing our ideologies or our beliefs and 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 what is motivating them and that's going to shape the effect that they have. Yeah. I mean, going back to that study I referenced, that's one point they made is he said, yes, belief is our natural default and it's helped us get to this point. But now that we're at this point, we need to use rational thought. We need to use science and we need to think about the things that once united us. Are our beliefs true? Do they, do they, are they factual? Um, Do they make sense? Are they, um, do they do harm to people? Are they stripping some people of their of their human rights? And then it's a bad belief. Mm-hmm. And so the onus is on us not to just believe it because, well, belief is our default. You know, that's that's how, how we are. But but if you do believe it, really, and this takes tons of courage, folks, whether you're religious or political or whatever, take the time to know why you believe it. Do you even know? Like, we're about to vote here in the coming weeks. In fact, this podcast will probably come out right after we voted. So maybe this, well, whatever. You can't take this advice then, but in the next election. (laughs) um, Did you vote for the person because you sat down, you took the time, you read through their policies, you weighed the policies with your value system, perhaps you even chatted with them or members of their team and you did the research and that's why you voted? Or did you vote for them because, well, I always vote blue or I always vote conservative or I always vote NDP? Because that is an example of just going to your default, believing something for believing it, and not putting in the work. And let me tell you, that's what I did for 30 years. And it ended up, you know, causing me great um, mental anguish. And I almost lost, lo- I almost lost myself over it. And and I would encourage anybody, whether you still have a faith or, or political idea, to really do the work. Why do you believe it? Yeah, the investment of deep, careful thought, uh, it, it's never a bad choice no it always pays dividends so perhaps as a closing question something i was thinking about earlier as you were you made your list of all your fears and and dreamed big and and went for overcoming every one of them it's a way of setting goals and and getting yourself to the next level of your own potential and i'm curious if you were to do a similar exercise now to put yourself at the the next version or the next chapter of, of you, what might be on that list? Yeah, man, that's a great question. You know, I'm proud to say it's not a long list because I'm already doing a lot of those things. And, and I think that's, that's a good goal to have is it shouldn't be a long list. Um, so, that being said, um, lest I try and come across like I'm, <laughs> I'm actually Thor <laughs> and have no fears. Um, there's always obstacles. There's Yeah, there's always obstacles. And we, um, and we should appreciate that and hold on to that because that's what makes us stronger. Yeah, for sure. Well, one thing I will say is one part of me that I know is integral to my identity is just my physical body. I'm somebody who needs to move, who needs needs to play. And let me tell you, having this shoulder limiting me 
has made me think about what happens if I get to a point in my life where, I, where because of a disease or an accident, I lose the use of my arms or legs forever. Or what happens if I get a disease and I'm unable to, you know, go for my life-saving runs in the mountain or things like that. Who will I be? Will I still, will I still have a healthy image of myself? Um, and that, I would say that's a challenge I need to work through because, uh, I mean, it was a bit, it was a bit eye-opening when I, when I did my shoulder and literally every single person in my life was just like, Oh man, they're like, what are you going to do? Like they're actually looking at me with concern in there as my employees, like you did, Angie, my kids are all like, what are you going to do for six weeks? You're not allowed to use your arm for six weeks. Like you're going to go insane. And I just, you know, I sort of laughed for the first bit. And then I thought after I might have a problem, <laughs> like I might have a problem. And so I guess for me um, is I need to deal with that, with that fear of maybe one day I won't be able to um, have my identity through movement and play and risk um, by explore, exploration. And will I be okay um, when that moment comes? And what will the, what will the, not the new John, but what will the next John look like? And um, yeah, that's something I'll need to work for. One of the things that I firmly believe is that we inherently have all the answers to our most challenging questions. Oh, I see. Yeah. So I would, if we were to continue down this, I would, uh, I would start probing for those answers because I know they're in there. I mean, I could just like be an egomaniac and be like, I'd be fine, man. I'll, I've, re- I've rediscovered myself all the time, but I'm just, I'm trying to highlight something I think would be a real challenge. It would be a challenge for sure. Yeah. To just go to just feeling, I, I think the idea of feeling weak, you know, I've, I've been made to feel weak um, at some vulnerable times growing up. And I think um, being in a new place of strength, both phys- physically and emotionally, um, and to lose that again would be very difficult. Well, and, and, and so I need to need to get my mind around what is true strength. And the reality is we that's part of our aging process. We will lose it. Uh, and I know that's coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get slower. I'm not going to be able to lift as much. I'm not going to be able to go as fast. I'm not. That's coming. And so will I navigate that time? Uh, will I navigate that chapter when it comes? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say yes, coach. I will. Um well, but but I know it's 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 going to be something that will require a lot of work and a mindset and, shift. And it's just another point of our ever-changing identity. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, as we finish this conversation and go on to the next phase of our day, which will most likely include lunch... Mm. which is our reward for finishing an episode yeah. every time, basically. And then we just get to spend more time in one another's company, which is always quite nice. Right. Uh, but at risk of um, continuing our verbal hug, which we've been doing for the last <laughs> while, um, do, do you have any parting words or offerings to our our amazing listeners who have come this far? Yeah, I would say... Ultimately, what caused my my mental break was the fact that I was living a lie and not according to my true self. And this can sound dramatic, but it's a very subtle thing that can happen. And so my offering would be, 
Um, perhaps if you've been suffering from some mental health challenges, um, perhaps some of it could be united in the fact that you're living a life that is not according to your values or according to your true self. And I would just ask you to do the work, look within, perhaps talk to a trusted fan, friend or even a, a, a counselor, therapist, and, and get them to do the work and see if there's something else going on. I'm forever grateful that I that somehow I had the courage to go through that because it took a ton of courage um, and I lost a lot. Um, but I am now somebody I can look in the mirror and and uh, I know who I am and, I, and I'm not ashamed anymore. Um, and shame was a part of my story. And, and I think shame can start to boil up a little bit if you don't if you don't take the time to, to look in. So take the time, look within and, and ask the tough questions. And you may be you may be um, ultimately relieved at what you see because you'll have found your true self again. And as you have shown, as, as many of our listeners have, and, and it reflects my story as well, that dark night ended up being perhaps the, the greatest gift that you ever could have received. Absolutely, man. I, I'm so thankful for my mental health challenges. So thankful. They're like a barometer of my true self. Yeah. And that's such a, an incredible lesson that, that we are driven to share in, in our in our modern culture where it's so present and and can be so debilitating and, and that that's a message of hope that that i'm determined to um, get out as much as we can well and the last thing i'll say because i love to have the last word <laughs> is um andrew i mean just to extend a verbal hug one more time Thank you so much for taking me through this. I, I was excited and slash nervous, but I'm looking forward to getting back in the other chair mm-hmm. and uh, now digging into someone else's process in life. So thanks. Thanks for this, man. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's the episode. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you liked what you heard here, check out the website. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That's where you can subscribe, check out the show notes. If we have one request, we'd ask you to leave us a kind review and perhaps share this episode. It's not because we have fragile egos. Well. But because we want other great people like you to benefit. Speaking of great people, we have a list of people we want to thank. We've got our senior technical advisor, Andy Robertson. Our media partner and web designer, Sticky Media. And of course, our host and snack coordinator, Judy Langford. Oh, peanut butter cookies. You can continue the conversation on Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast. And on Twitter at Obstacle Pod. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Keep pushing through those obstacles.